Parshas Vayeshev, writing the eternal story. Everybody remembers the story of Yosef Atzadik, the little brother who appointed himself Mashkiach over his older brothers, reporting back to their father whatever he saw as wrong in them. And if that wasn't enough, he was beginning to dream about achieving power over his family. And he didn't keep his dreams to himself. He made sure to tell his brothers all about them. Now a man who is thirsty for covet, for glory, the Jewish people never liked such people. And therefore, when the brothers saw a young man, especially a younger brother, who was so ambitious, he's already dreaming about us bowing down to him. They understood that he had to be stopped. Such a power-hungry person was too perilous for the future of the Amashem, and they had no alternative but to do away with him. What else could they do? They couldn't just allow this dangerous upstart to willy-nilly assume the role of leadership in the Holy Family. At that time, it was Reuven, Yosef's oldest brother, who intervened to save his life. Let's not shed his blood, said Reuven. We can throw him into a pit instead. Laman hatzil oto miyadam lahashivo el aviv. Reuven's plan was to return later and rescue Yosef in order to bring him back to his father, Vayeshev. About Reuven it says, Hu pasach tachila. He was the one who had the courage to speak up first. It was such a great deed that many years later when the Am Yisrael set up the Are Miklat, the cities of refuge, the first ones were established in Ruvain's Shevet. That was a reward, a recognition of that great deed. We're proud of him when we read those words in our Parsha. And Ruvain said, we should not kill him. However, the eye of Chazal saw something else here that surprises us when we hear it. The Medrash in Yalkuchimoni Nevi'im makes the following comment about this incident. Had Ruvein known that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was going to inscribe this incident in the Chumash, he would have taken Yosef on his shoulders and carried him back to Yaakov Avinu. It means that Ruvein wouldn't have been satisfied merely by interceding. Had he known that this story would be inscribed in the Tanakh forever, it would have looked entirely different. On Shabbos, Parshas Vayeshev, the Baal Koide, would have read the following words in the presence of all the people. Vayikach Ruvein et Yosef, Sam al Shichmo, Vayaratz, Vivihu el Aviv. Ruvein took Yosef and placed him on his back, and he made haste, and he brought to his father. It would have been a different story altogether. Imagine how exciting that would have been. Ruvain is running with Yosef on his back, and the brothers are in hot pursuit. When they get close, Ruvain fights them off in order to defend his little brother. Ruvain is running and hiding, making his way back to their father Yaakov. And we are kept in suspense, until finally Ruvain arrives home, and he deposits Yosef at the feet of his father. My father, your son Yosef is safe. And Yaakov would have poured blessings on to the head of Ruvain, and he would have been inscribed in the Torah as a hero forever. Oh, how we would applaud when the Balkoide reads these words. And Ruvain returned Yosef to his father. We'd stamp with our feet. We'd be wild with happiness. Had this verse 
been inscribed as I invented it. And I'm sure HaKadosh Baruch Hu could dictate a better one than a mine. Every year, the whole world would recount that story in all the Batekinesias. How glorious and exciting it would be. And Chazal tells us that it could have been so if only Ruvain had known. They say that this story would be recorded forever. That's what would have happened. It's like when the photographer comes to the wedding hall to take pictures. So everyone who is in the scene realizes that these pictures are going to be preserved forever. The bridal album is an heirloom. It's handed down for generations to look at. And therefore, people usually try to live up to the moment. Somebody will perhaps look at his picture, maybe someday. And so he straightens his necktie. He wipes the crumbs from his lips. The ladies say, wait, and they straighten up their hair. Now the bride's wedding album is actually not forever. Sooner or later, it wears out. Even the Kala herself loses interest in it to a great extent, and it ends up in a wastebasket of some great-grandchild. At best, it's put up in the attic somewhere for the next homeowner to find it and discard it. Like all the memories of our lives, the photographs, and the mementos that were precious to us end up losing their importance. They wear out and are discarded. But in the case of Ruvain, it wasn't so. He was posing for a picture that would continue to be viewed forever. Forever! And not only would that picture be looked at, it would be analyzed. It would be studied by hundreds of thousands of sages and Torah students, by millions of school children, by millions of men and women who read that story over and over since the Torah was first given to us. Ruvain's deed of carrying his little brother on his back to safety would have been recounted millions of times and preserved forever because the Torah is forever. But there's no such story in the Chumash. Such a pasuk does not exist. And Chazal are telling us that. It's not there because Ruvain didn't know that he would be in the Torah. He may have known that there would be a Torah, but that he would be in the Torah, that part he didn't know. And therefore, he failed to be as great as he could have been. Pasach, patsala, tehila. He did something marvelous. He saved Yosef's life. But the sages are telling us that had he known that the photographer was taking pictures, that he was posing for eternity, an entirely different degree of greatness would have awakened within him. Had Ruvain understood that his deed was being written down for the eyes of all the generations to read forever and ever, that would have awakened in him a grandeur of responsibility he would have lived up to that momentous occasion. We're hearing now a very important statement that's going to affect our lives if we understand it properly. Because the Chachamim tell us that in this instance, Ruvain is serving as a model for us. It's not only that we can point at Ruvain and repeat the words of our sages about how he failed to realize that he was acting for eternity. They're pointing their fingers at us too. What's said about Ruvain applies to every one of us. That's what Rabbi Yushua ben Levi said when he studied this incident. In the past, when a person did a mitzvah, the Torah would preserve it forever. The Navi would inscribe it in the Tanakh as an eternal remembrance. But what about today? When a person today does a good deed, 
or the opposite? Who writes it down? How is it preserved? Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi answers as follows. It is recorded just the same. Eliyahu Hanavi and Melech HaMashiach write out the details and HaKadosh Baruch Hu signs it. Yalkut Shimoni. It means that the Tanakh we have in the shuls, in our yeshivas, is not the end of the story. A great Tanakh is being written down right now. Now, we all know that the Tanakh has been sealed already. There's no such thing as adding to the sacred scriptures. There's no adding anymore, even to the Mishnah. The holy Mishnah is sealed forever. And finally, even the Talmud was sealed. You cannot add anything to the Gemara. If you wish, you can write in the margin, but in the text, it's forbidden to make any changes. And yet the Medrash tells us that the deeds of men are being inscribed even today. They are being written in a great scripture that are going to be read forever. Not like Sepharim that people write today. Today, many people publish Sepharim that are never read a second time. Some of them are never read even a first time. A printer once told me, a firm printer, that he makes a living from Redifas covered. That's his life. He makes his Parnassah because people want their names to be famous for the time being. People want covered, so they come to him to print their Torahs. It's printed once. The uncles and cousins of the Mechaber have to buy it, but nobody reads it. It's forgotten about after a little while. But Hashem's Sefer is very different. We are talking now about a Sefer that will be forever. It will be read forever and ever in Oilam Haba. Everything is being recorded and the names are there. Our names are there. It's a Sefer. Everything we are doing now will exist in that great Tanakh that Eliyahu Hanavi is writing. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is affirming. It's true. It won't be in the Chumash. It won't be in the Kisvei HaKadosh. We're too late for that. But there's a Sefer that Hashem is keeping. Va'al Sifrecha Kulam Yikatevu. You, Hashem, have a Sefer in which everybody will be inscribed. Tehillim. There exists a great book in which he's recording all the things that happened since after Matan Toida until the end of the world. And all the generations that go into Gan Eden will read it over and over again. The life of every single person will be a Sefer to study. But not only the life, in general. Every single act is inscribed in a great book that is being read at this very moment by the biggest audience that the world ever saw. Now we are accustomed to making everything into a mushroom. Does HaKadosh Baruch Hu really bother himself to write? Does he need to put things down in writing? It's a form of speech. It's poetry, people say. But actually, it's repeated so many times in the Tanakh and elsewhere that we must understand there's an actual record taking place. And it's a record that's in the form of writing. It will be written with the style of Tanakh, not in modern Hebrew. Modern Hebrew is an abomination. It's a caricature. This will be written in Lushan Kodesh. Not in Ivrit. And it will be a real safer. Now it seems to us a surprising idea that our acts now are going to be entered into a new Tanakh. But let's put ourselves in the place of Ruvain. Ruvain also didn't suspect that his deeds would be written into the Chumash. 
had someone told Ruvain, you're going to be inscribed in the Torah, it would have seemed ridiculous to him. Who am I? And what deeds am I doing? My father, perhaps, yes. Some great decision, yes. But this is a thing of momentary importance. How exactly to save Yosef from the brothers? That it would be written down? It didn't enter his mind like it doesn't enter our minds. And that's why the sages go out of the way to teach us that exactly the same thing is transpiring with us at this very moment. Don't fool yourselves. They warn us. Whatever we do or say or think in this world is going to continue to exist forever and ever. Now today, this is easier to understand than ever. Not so long ago, if they would have told you that you could record somebody's words on a machine and then play it back, you would think that they're pulling your leg. Once upon a time, nobody even dreamed that what I'm saying now could someday be replayed. When I was in yeshiva, we didn't have that. In Slabatka, we heard beautiful lectures, Musa talks, an hour and a half each. They were so perfect, so carefully worded, and so full of machshava. But they're gone now. Some of them were written down partly, but most of it went lost. Had they had had tape recorders then, the world would have been wealthy with a great amount of chokhmah today. But the truth is that nothing went lost. It still exists. I want to explain this in a way that you'll understand it, even scientifically. You know, we have the impression that when sound waves arrive and they deliver the message, so it's all finished. The sound waves are destroyed. But that's not true. There's a law of science that teaches us that energy can never be destroyed. The indestructibility of energy. If I give a bang on the table here, that bang goes through the earth all the way to China on the other side. And although in China they won't be frightened, there won't be an earthquake or even a tremor there. It's not because it goes lost. It's not lost. It's just dispersed. The energy becomes so dispersed, so spread out, that when it arrives, it's not strong enough to make any effect. But that energy is there forever. Now sound is an energy. Just like when you bang on the table, it doesn't go lost. Sound also never goes lost. What happens? It dissipates, it diffuses, and it gets lost into the atmosphere. But it's there. And the truth is, if we had the capabilities to gather together that energy and bring it back to its original place, we would be able to hear today what was said thousands of years ago. Now, I'm not such a big chacham, but we know that there is a shita among scientists that anything said in the world may someday be recaptured. It could be that one day they will invent certain machines that can assemble together all the sounds that are dispersed in the universe. We might be able to press a button that will cause all the dissipated sound waves to reassemble and they would come forth today with the original voice of the speaker. We don't yet have such excellent machinery that's capable of doing such a thing. But it's not too far-fetched to imagine such a device. Now, whether or not we'll ever have the ability to create such a machine, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is surely capable of doing such a thing. And he's doing it. He's collecting all the energy in the form of speech that was once upon a time distributed and scattered throughout the atmosphere. It's all being reassembled to be played back. 
And who's going to hear these sounds when Hashem plays them back? All those who are worthy to be in the afterlife will be sitting and listening to everything that was ever said. Everything will be repeated for everyone to hear. All the words of the tzaddikim, the righteous, and all the words of the kisilim, the fools, nothing goes lost. Not only the sounds, all the scenes are being replayed on the tremendous screen. Right now in Oilam Haba, the tzaddikim are sitting and looking at the most entrancing movie, Lahavdil. When people go to a movie, what do they see? They see false things. The actress is wearing teeth that are not hers. They put over her teeth a close-fitting replica to look like perfect teeth. She wears wigs chosen for the occasion, and her face is colored to suit the scene. She speaks words which in themselves are meaningless. It's all shekhar. She's making believe. But that's what people are paying good money for. The public doesn't come for the purpose of the truth. On the contrary, they go in in order to be deceived by this very display. But that's not what's doing in Oilam Habo. In the next world, we're talking about a movie produced by HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. It's a real movie, the most real movie possible. In Oilam Habo, all the tzaddikim and all the malachim with HaKadosh Baruch Hu at the head are seated lahavdil in a great theater and on the stage. There is being enacted a story of the events of mankind's history. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is displaying it before all the people worthy to sit in Gan Eden. They're viewing the deeds of every person. They're not only studying what's written in the Chumash. All the acts that took place after the Tanakh was closed are being studied there too. Right now, this minute, every deed of every individual is portrayed on that stage and is being studied by all the ones worthy of coming to the next world. And it doesn't get boring. It's not like when you go to some mitzvah play, let's say, like when the boys put on a Yosef and his brothers play for charity purposes. So we may enjoy the proceedings, but finally it's over and we have to leave. And in a sense, we are grateful when it ends, because how much can we take already? Even the most interesting portrayal, after a while, we can't tolerate it any longer. But in Oilam Haba, it's very different. In Oilam Haba, the movie never becomes intolerable. The audience sits there, enchanted at this spectacle. And the longer it continues, the more enthralling it becomes, because every detail is examined even more than is ever possible in this world. In Oilam Haba, every detail is studied with such sharp acumen and masterful logic that it would confound the sharpest minds of the living. Dizzying discussions with tremendous pilpulum are taking place. Even subconscious motives are ferreted out and discussed. It's an intense atmosphere of analysis. Every story in all its details is being studied so thoroughly that never can anything be done more thoroughly. And I must tell you that all of this is very big fun. That's part of the great simcha of Oilam Haba. It's a remarkable happiness to study and to analyze the events of human history with all the secrets revealed and thoroughly understood. But it's only a happiness for the spectators. It's not always a time of joy for those who are being actors. 
Because when Ruvain, Ruvain is there, he's among the audience. When finally the picture of Ruvain is flashed on the screen, he's not so happy with himself. Everybody, all the tzaddikim, nivim, tanoim, amoraim, drishoinim and achroinim, and everyone who came after them are sitting and studying the story of Yosef being saved. And Ruvain said to them, Don't shed his blood. Let's throw him in a pit instead. And Ruvain hears those words. He puts his head into his hands and he thinks to himself, Ach, what poor words these are. Couldn't I have written into the scenario something more noble than that? Why didn't I realize when I had the opportunity what was really taking place? I wish that I could have another chance. But there are no take-twos in the next world. What's written down has been recorded forever, and it's going to play in Olam Haba forever. Almost everyone who learned the story of David and Bathsheba is familiar with what Chazal say. Kol ha'omer David chata eno ela toeh. Anyone who says that David committed a sin, it means the way we perceive the sin is making a mistake. Gemara Shabbos. That's a subject to be discussed elsewhere. It's explained a little bit in my book, Behold a People. But whatever it was or wasn't, for David Amelech, it was something. He gave a handle, an excuse for the enemies to criticize. There's one black mark on David's record. Rak bidvar Uriah hachiti. Only in the matter of Uriah hachiti. That's the story of Bathsheba. Did David make a misstep? Melachim. That's why he was bitterly castigated by the Navi, who spoke in the name of Hashem. Nasan Hanavi blasted David with the worst words until he broke down and said, Vidoy. He prayed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for forgiveness. And his repentance was so monumental that David became very great as a result of his teshuva. Instead of being one of the dark episodes of his life, this actually was one of the most heroic instances in history. Now, when David did a perfect teshuva, it seems to us that the whole account should have been settled. But David understood that it wasn't settled. After it was all over, David began to think about the consequences. Teshuva haint teshuva morgen. David understood that what he did would be recorded forever, and that rankled in him terribly. And therefore, he made an especial petition to Akadosh Baruch Hu as follows. Al yikasev surchoni. My misdeed should not be inscribed in Tanakh. Gemara Yuma. He prayed, leave it all out, including my teshuva, including all the perfection that I achieved as a result of his repentance, including the great mizmorim which I inscribed in Tehillim as a result of that mistake. Everything should be wiped out. David said. Now we don't know how many tears David shed in his petitions to HaKadosh Baruch Hu to erase that from history. But however much it was, it was already too late. The deed had been done and HaKadosh Baruch Hu therefore refused his request. Do you know what a sadness it is for his posterity when they read the story of David and Bathsheba? Not to mention the ridicule of the Gentiles and the Ameha Aretz who follow only the plain wording of Tanakh and are therefore misled to despise David in their hearts.
not to mention the many Rishayim who have utilized that story as an excuse. If David could have done this and this, so why should we strive to be different? And what about the discouragement that this causes to Ma'aminim? This deed has been a thorn in the side of the Jewish people. It wasn't only David who regretted what he did. Every Jew since the Tanakh was written regretted that such an episode ever took place. David, that's our hero. That's our ideal. Neim Zemiros Yisrael, that sweet singer, the composer of songs, the great hero, the fighter for Torah, the friend of HaKadosh Baruch We don't want to read that story. But no, that deed is inscribed and it rankles forever and ever. That thorn continues to burn in the side of the Jewish nation. Now, had David known beforehand that it would have been inscribed, then things would have been different. There's no question about it. That's the perfect awareness that every action, even every thought, was being recorded forever, would have been enough to elicit from him a different kind of behavior. He wouldn't have wanted such words to be read by the generations to follow. And that's intended as a great lesson for us. There are no do-overs, no take-twos. Now, in order to give this idea a little more substance, we're going to talk now about ourselves. It's not only Ruvain and David. It's not only the tzaddikim of all generations whose lives will be on display. We have to realize that the time will come when we too shall be seated in the audience and then up on that tremendous screen in Olam Haba will flash episodes from our own lives in front of everyone. All the incidents of your life, the small and the big, will be displayed for all to see. And the question is, what will our reaction be? Now, such an idea is very far away from the way we think that the details of our lives should be so important, so prominent. Ruvain, we understand. David, yes. But us? It's hard for our minds to accept that the details of our lives matter so much. It's remote from our minds. The truth is that to accept such an idea requires a very big change in our attitude toward mankind. If we wish to appreciate this lesson of Torah, we must understand a fundamental principle that it requires a great amount of explaining. It can't be done quickly, and it certainly cannot be accomplished tonight. The truth is, it's so wide of a subject that it takes a lifetime of work to appreciate it. And yet, something we have to say. Because without it, we are incapable of appreciating how this subject of Elo Yoda Ruvain, if only Ruvain would have known what would have been written, relates to our own lives. And what is this principle? It's the principle of the importance of man. Not of mankind in general. Of every man. Any human is immensely important. The deeds of one person are more important than the entire history of an empire. And not only all the acts of his life, but the greatness of a single act of a human being is more important to HaKadosh Baruch Hu than all the other events of history. Let that sink in. It's an explosive teaching. It's stunning. 
In the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a man is the most important of all objects in the universe. And the slightest deed that any of us does outweighs the greatest event in the history of the heavens. If stars would explode and disintegrate, if billions of tons of matter would fall apart in the distant heavens, if many worlds would collide and be smashed into bits and disappear, all this would mean nothing compared to the single act of a human being. This is one of the fundamental principles of the Torah, the greatness of man. No matter how long we shall discuss this and how much we shall explain it, we shall fail to grasp the immensity of the subject, of the greatness of humankind. Godless Adam. It was for this purpose that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created man so that he should perform deeds that would be studied forever and ever. Now, with this in mind, we can begin to understand why every deed is photographed forever. Whatever you do is going to be inscribed forever and ever, because there's nothing more important. It's not merely imagination. It's not merely something we say. It's a fact of our lives. Actually, it's the fact of our lives. We are being photographed forever, and it's going to be played out in the next world for the righteous forever and ever. And the ones who could have produced better results are going to regret forever and ever what they could have done, but didn't. It will be an embarrassment that is there forever. It's like sometimes when you turn the pages of a wedding album, you find someone in a ridiculous pose. Now, isn't it a pity? That silly smirk on that man's face is forever ensconced in that album, and there's nothing he could do about it now. But once a man knows that the camera is focused in on him, it's a different story. When we know that everything we do is forever, that when we are sitting in our homes or walking on the street, whatever we do, we are being photographed forever, then it's going to be a tremendous incentive to do some posing. I once told you, I was sitting in the subway. No one was looking at me. Nobody. Who cares about an old Jew sitting on a subway? But I suddenly discovered I had an audience. A little colored girl was looking at me. It wasn't much of an audience. But I strained out my slump. And I was thinking, for whom are you doing this? For such an audience? And the answer is, yes. For any kind of audience, we like to pose. And when we know that the camera of eternity is directed at us and that no act is unimportant, then we will act differently. And that means that all of our deeds should be done as if we were actors posing and trying to make the most favorable impression that we could create for all time to come. We should always think about that as often as we can. Da mal mala mimcha. Know what's above you. Ein ve'ozen shomas, an eye that sees and an ear that hears of us. Ein means not only it looks at you, but it photographs you. His eye is photographing you. Ozen shamas. His ear is not only listening, it's recording every word you say. Now these words that are said by the Chachamim of the Mishnah, they didn't merely put them there because it looks good. It says we should think about these things. So we should always keep in mind the great lesson that kol ma'asecha besefer nichtavin. 
that all of your deeds are being recorded in a Sefer. There's a Sefer, and we're being recorded in that Sefer. The truth is that we are the ones who are writing down our own history today. That's what the Chayvah Salavava says. Hayabim Megillus, the days of your life are pages. Every day is like a new page. Kisvu Bahem, write in these pages what you wish should be remembered about you. Now, that's not a mushal. It's not a form of speech. You are actually writing. You are writing your own biography. You're taking your own pictures. Of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing it. But you're the one who's causing it. It means that tomorrow morning when you wake up, it's a new page in your life. It's a clean page. And therefore, try to write the best you can by keeping in mind that this page is forever and ever. When you open your eyes and you say, Modeani, thank you, Hashem, that you restored my life, and you say it with Kavana, that's a way to begin writing on the new page properly. Let's say you're going to daven now. Davening is an opportunity to write a beautiful chapter. Don't be in a hurry. A little bit with Kavana is preferable to a great deal without Kavana. When you say something with understanding in your davening, it's a pearl. It's a diamond. It's for your credit forever and ever. One line of the Siddur, if you say it with deep kavana, is an eternal achievement. That's how important it is. One line of Siddur, if you think what you say. But if before you go to work, sit down to eat breakfast, it's another glorious opportunity. Food is a miracle. What does bread come from? Where does milk come from? From nowhere. It comes from air. It's a miracle. Did you ever think about that while you're eating? That's a way to write your history. While you're eating, you're recognizing the wonders of Hashem. You're thinking about how you're putting bread into your mouth and it becomes part of your body. It becomes part of your hair, your beard. Yes, your beard is from bread. Your skin, your muscles, your bones. The bread I'm chewing on now turns into muscles and bones. That's the way to eat, thinking that wonderful thought. As you're eating and thinking, you are writing a history. And then when you're finished, Baruch Ata Hashem, I bend my knees to you, Hashem. Elokeinu, Melech Haolam, Hazan Es Haolam Kulo. And you're thinking about the miracle of Hashem, providing food for the whole world. At the end of the day, too, the camera is still taking pictures. When you get home and your wife gives you a supper, remember to say, it's a good supper. You want that to be remembered of you. It will be written down. He said, thank you, Sarah. It was a good supper. If you say it was a very good supper, so that extra word will be written down, too. Make sure you do that. So it should be written down. If somebody said something that was mean about you, don't answer back. Don't say a word, because that word that you'll say will be written. You don't want that written in your record. Kiss Vubayim, write in your record only what you desire that should be remembered about you. The way you talk to your wife or to your husband. The way you talk to your neighbors. How you talk in the basic Knesset or in the yeshiva. Whatever you say is of the utmost importance. Nothing you do is unimportant because you are too important. 
The more you create that attitude in your mind, the more successfully you will live. If Ruvain had known that he was being photographed forever and ever, he would have done something else. Had he remembered that, he would have done so much more in order to be depicted in the Torah as a tzaddik and a hero. And we're told that story so that we should learn the lesson that we are here in this world to write our own biographies. Right now, we're being portrayed. A camcorder is directed at us and it's photographing our emotions, the expressions on our faces, the sound of our voices, and it's being recorded forever and ever. And the time will come when it will be played back. Whatever act you do, you should know that it is forever and ever. And therefore, as much as possible, we must keep on cleansing our minds and working to gain that purity of attitude that whatever we do in this world is being photographed. And the more you gain that attitude, the happier you become because you know that you are always achieving. Nothing is ever unimportant in your life because wherever you are, whatever you're doing and whatever you're thinking, you are writing what you want to be remembered. Have a wonderful Shabbos.